Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Scan the QR code to visit our website at AULC.us and find us on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and TalkShoe. The following presentation is from a new series from Dr. Rob White called Blast from the Past. In this series, Dr. Rob will feature past sermons that were recorded live. We hope you enjoy this new series. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come together to open your word, we just ask that, like your scriptures say, let those that have ears hear. Those that need to hear this message, let them hear it, Lord. Those that have heard the message before, maybe get something new out of it. And we just ask, Lord, that you'll keep us all on our toes today as we get the message that we get something new out of it. We ask this in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Our scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 to 21. After this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. So Jesus went up a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a Jewish festival, was near. Therefore, when Jesus looked up and noticed a huge crowd coming toward him, he asked Philip, where will we buy bread so these people can eat? He asked this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread wouldn't be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, have the people set down. There was plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down, and the men numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also with the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were full, he told his disciples, collect the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they collected them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces from the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This really is the prophet who was to come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus knew that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples came down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Darkness had already set in, but Jesus had not yet come to them. Then a high wind arose and the sea began to churn. And after they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea. He was coming near the boat and they were afraid. 
But he said to them, It is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him on board, and at once the boat was at shore when they were heading. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, this week's gospel, this lesson tells us two stories. First, it recounts the feeding of the 5,000. And secondly, it talks about Jesus walking on the water. Now, both this miraculous feeding of so many people and with the, the bread from heaven and the miraculous crossing of the sea by Jesus walking on the water is actually reminiscent of the, the story in Exodus where God fed the people from manna from heaven and allowed them to escape the Egyptian soldiers by parting the Red Sea. Now in the Bible, we're told of a miraculous story of how Jesus fed over 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of barley bread from just a little boy's lunch. The amazing thing about this story is that after all the people had eaten, Jesus asked the disciples to gather up what was left. And they gathered up 12 baskets of food that was left over from this five little loaves and these two fish. In this miracle, Jesus didn't just feed the people. He provided bread for them more than was necessary, more than was needed. There were 12 baskets left over, and this is called generosity, giving more than what's needed. Now, we can see God's generosity everywhere in nature if you look around. Like how many fish do you think are in our seas today? We can't count them. How many stars are in the sky? Again, we can't count those. Now, everyone has had dandelions in their yard, right? We can't count those either, can we? These dandelions, we call them weeds because if you look at them though, they kind of look like dots of sunshine growing in a green grass field. If you ever picked one, you'll find that they have a very soft head on them and they're made of little seeds. And if once they puff out and you blow on them, these seeds go flying everywhere. Well, what that does is spreads more dandelions around. And of course, kids don't know that. And so they proliferate and have dandelions everywhere. When the seed bumps into something though, it then plants itself and then grows. You can't count the number of seeds on a dandelion Head because every one would be different. You wouldn't have an exact number. And there are so many. And this is just one example of God's generosity throughout nature. And the same is true for flowers and vegetables and, and other things that produce seeds. You just can't count them because they don't have the exact same number every time. But it's more than enough. God is generous that way. And when you think of God's love, you think of his generosity. We are given more of God's love than what we need. And it's always more than enough. Now, our, our lesson today deals with having a little, but it being enough. Or giving a little, and it's more than enough. I've been told many times over the years, well, I wish I could put more on the offering plate. I can only give so much. Or I wish I could do more to help out the ministry. Or I wish I could do more to help somebody. 
your little contribution, God takes and expands that and it becomes more than enough. I used to serve in a small congregation here in Montgomery County. On a good Sunday, we might have 30 people, maybe. That was a good Sunday. But this little church struggled to keep its doors open because we just didn't have enough money coming in to really finance the church properly. However, though, this little church, it had two missions that it served, one in Indianapolis that it gave money to every month and one here in Crawfordsville that it gave money and food to and support. And they realized early on that we can't give a lot. We're a small church, we, we're not rich, but what little we could give was more than enough because God used our little offering and expanded it. The, this little church group understood that they could only give so much, but they were always happy to help. They was always happy to, to dig in. Every once in a while, they would uh, have a fundraiser and try to help the missions out a little bit more. And the fundraisers weren't always successful. And you've all been involved in fundraisers, I'm sure. You understand how that goes. But I admired the vision and the enthusiasm this little church had because even though Indianapolis is miles and miles away, they always sent their contribution to the mission in Indianapolis. And we would take it out to the mission here in Crawfordsville and we would help them out. If we had food left over from a pitch-in or whatever, we would take it out to them and we would help them any way we could. The people in the church could have easily said, you know what, we can't even help ourselves. We're not gonna help anyone. We're gonna keep all the money ourselves. We're going to just look out for number one. But that wasn't what was intended. What was intended was we was to help the best we could. And we did. And we, we gave a little bit. And God expanded on that. And he used our little bit with his generosity. And our gospel lesson today tells a story of a situation where just a little bit went a long way. A crowd had followed Jesus to a remote place. Jesus says to Philip, one of his disciples, where are we going to buy bread so that everybody can eat because there's thousands of people showing up where Jesus was and it was coming on supper time or maybe lunch time at that time and these people were going to get hungry and the disciples and Jesus was hungry. They could have easily said, you know what? We're going to take off. We're going to run over to Arby's. We're going to grab us something and then we'll come back. If these people are still here, we'll do something. But no, Jesus had another plan. He had another idea. We're told by the scriptures that Jesus was testing Philip because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Philip was from this area. Philip would know where all the bakers were and the people that could help out and like this. And, and so he was testing him to see what his reaction would be. He was testing him to see just how much of a man of faith he was. Philip answered Jesus, well, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient to feed them for everyone would only receive a very little. 
200 denarii in that day was about six months wages for one man. Philip was right because the scriptures tell us there was over 5,000 men to feed. Now, the story of this feeding of the 5,000 can be found in each of the four Gospels, and it's one of the few stories that all four Gospels cover almost identically. Now, one of the other Gospels says that there was 5,000 men plus women plus children. Now, if you think about it for a second, the, the Bible's very man-centric. It doesn't deal with women and children because they was pretty low on the food chain at the time. So you figure if there's 5,000 men, each of them have a wife, there's 5,000 women, and if each of them had one child, there's 5,000 children. So you got 15,000 already. Now, figuring most households back then didn't have just one child, they had multiple children, you could be looking at 20,000 or more people at this feeding of the 5,000. That's a lot of people. And so Jesus is going, where are we going to buy bread to feed 20,000 people? Now, the allusion here is a question that was also raised by Moses to God in the wilderness when he says, where am I going to get meat to give all these people in Numbers eleven thirteen? Now, when Jesus is testing Philip here, in those days, it was all right to, for someone to, a teacher, to test someone because you would kind of hope they're going to fail so that you can teach them a lesson. But if the student passes then and, and passes the test, they become a better student and then later on a better teacher. Jesus here is not looking for Philip to fail. He's looking to see how much of a man of faith he is. He has a plan in mind, and he wants to know what Philip thinks. Philip is probing the depths of his faith here by going, well, 200 denarii is not going to be enough. He points out the obvious difficulty for buying bread for 20,000 plus people. It would be really expensive. And Philip's going, I don't know where we're going to get that kind of money. Now you keep in mind, Jesus didn't let the disciples carry money. Jesus didn't carry money. They depend on the generosity of others. Philip even goes further by saying, uh, we have actually a bigger problem. You know, we have to not only buy the bread, we've also got to bring it here. We've got to get all these people. We've got to hire workers and trucks and all of this to get it here. And then we've got to distribute the bread all the way around to all these people. And how are we going to do that? Do you realize how many ovens it'll take to bake the bread and how many bakers and how much flour and how long it's going to take the dough to rise and how long to bake it, how long to transport it here. We can't do that in just a couple of hours. It isn't going to work. The disciples was going to tackle this monumental task, but they didn't know how they was going to do it. Now, obviously, Philip doesn't remember the, the miracle at Cana where this was the first miracle that Jesus performed and turning the water into wine. 
when the, the wine had ran out and then there was more than enough. This was his first miracle of abundance. We're not specifically told if Philip was there, but he would have heard the story. He would have known that Jesus can do this. And even though he knew six months wages wouldn't be enough because he knew that everyone received just a little no matter what they did. Philip wasn't being sarcastic. He was being realistic here. And he was trying to be realistic with Jesus. And it would take a small fortune to do this. Now, there was no such thing as Wonder Bread bakeries back then. And I imagine even if there were, they wouldn't have had thousands and thousands of loaves already baked up because they would have baked them. And the next day, they would have went stale. Now, I have it on good authority from my wife that to bake one loaf of bread, just put this in perspective, bake one loaf of bread, start to finish takes about an hour and a half. So that's from putting it all together, the flour and all that, and baking it and pulling it out of the oven takes about an hour and a half. That's one loaf. So you do the math. We may be looking at 1,000, 2,000, or 3,000 loaves of bread here and that's a long time. You're not gonna do that in a day. Now, Andrew, another one of Jesus' disciples, he had an idea. He said, hey, Jesus, there's a boy here who has a little lunch. He's got five loaves of bread and two fish. Maybe we can do something with that. But then he caught himself and he says, but I don't know if it's enough for so many. And so back then, barley loaves was only made for the poor because they couldn't afford all of the, the rich ingredients and all this to make really, really good bread. And it wasn't as nutritious and it didn't have the, the value and all this that regular bread would have, but it got you by. And the, the thing is, it was harder to digest than wheat bread would have been. And these barley loaves recall Elisha's miracle of feeding 100 people with just a small supply of barley loaves. In that particular story, this Baal Shashia had 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain and gave to Elisha for uh, an offering. And Elisha says, give to the people that they may eat. But his servant said, servant said, what should I set before a hundred men? And he says, again, give to the people they may eat. Thus says Yahweh, they will eat and then we'll have some left over. So we see this repeated previously in the scriptures that this abundance is there. Now the two fish were probably small. They was probably just kind of an accompaniment for the bread, something to help wash the bread down. And the bread, of course, would have been the main course. The fish would have been kind of an appetizer. Now when I read what Andrew said here, I remember trying to start a fire not too long ago in our fire pit. It wasn't easy. I let some kindlings underneath the logs and it started to burn and then the flames died out and I had to light it again and then it done it again and I had to light it again and each time the fire started, it would start to give me hope that, okay, now I can sit back and enjoy this, but then it would go out again. And this is what kind of happened with Philip. He had the beginning of the solution. He had it right there in hand. Uh, a boy with some bread and some fish and he handled it with a little bit of enthusiasm and he kindled the fire a little bit and he thought something might catch on, but then he said, but wait, there are so many people. 
and then that hope kind of died down. He caught fire just for a moment, and then his flame died out. And then Jesus says, have the people set down. Now, in those days, that was a bold move because when you ask a crowd to sit down, you create expectations for this crowd. Once they're seated, they're ready to see what you're going to do next. In this case, these people were hungry and they knew it was about dinner time and they knew that Jesus had a reputation for doing some spectacular things. So when they sat down, you can be sure they did not expect to go away hungry. So, okay, Jesus, you're up. What's next? I know Philip and Andrew had to be nervous at this point. But then Jesus took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed it to the disciples and disciples to those who were sitting down. And likewise, the fish, as much as they desired, chapter 11, or verse 11 tells us today. And then when they were filled, filled, Jesus said to the disciples, gather up the broken pieces that are left over so nothing is wasted. They gathered them up and had 12 baskets of food left over. Now, when I read this story, I kind of feel drawn to the boy who had the five loaves and the two fishes. This was his lunch. He was expecting to sit down somewhere under a shade tree probably and eat this. And I wonder just how the disciples felt when they asked this little boy to sacrifice his lunch. The possibility that he might go hungry that day because he didn't get to eat his own lunch, but a few other people did. I can wonder exactly what went through this little boy's mind when the disciple says, would you give up your lunch to feed lots of people? And I wonder what would have happened if the boy said, uh, no, this is my lunch. I'm going to eat it. See you later. You can't have it. The whole, whole story would have changed out differently. And it was possible, you know, because back then, the poor people, they didn't know where their next meal was coming from usually. And I'm sure that the disciples would not take the boy's lunch by force. The boy would have given up his lunch faithfully because he knew Jesus was there. But what if he had refused? Well, let's face it, the whole crowd would have went hungry that day. The boy wouldn't have went hungry, but the whole crowd would have. But perhaps Jesus was counting on this boy to give up his lunch. Jesus does that, you know. He, he counts on us so many times to do things, to give up, to sacrifice. And he wouldn't have to depend on us, but he chooses to depend on us. A great deal depends on our response to his call, to what he wants us to do. And we see that evidence all around us every day. Our world is in a mess today. But it wouldn't be in a mess if people only did what Christ called them to do. And even those who have a little bit, they offer a little bit, but it becomes important. That little bit in Christ's hands becomes a great blessing. And each of us possesses in some form five loaves of bread and two fish. It's a small gift that Christ can use for large purposes. Some of us have the gift of music that can be used for the glory of God. And it doesn't mean that we're going to play a concert at Carnegie Hall or we're gonna write some fantastic Easter cantata. 
It might mean that maybe we can only play piano for kids at Sunday school or we can sing in the choir. And whatever the gift is in Christ's hands, it takes on wonderful power. Some of us have the gift of teaching. I'm convinced that those who teach Sunday school will be surprised when they get to heaven to learn all the great things that came from their teaching, the little kids. I taught a Sunday school class of like seven to 12 year olds one time. It's like herding cats. You can't really do it effectively, but I had a lot of great fun doing it, coming up with the lessons and all. And I had one little girl who was the, the pastor's daughter. She came up to me one day because we was talking about Noah's Ark. And she came up to me and she was about, I don't know, 10 or 11 years old. And she says, I have a question. If Noah's Ark sat on a mountaintop for thousands of years, how can somebody find it today? I said, well, that's a great question. You know, what, what made you think of this? Well, she had seen a documentary or something on TV talking about the search for Noah's Ark and how they thought they had found it on a mountain in Turkey and that it was all buried under dirt and, and rocks and all of this, but it made out the shape of an ark. I said, you know what? Let me get back to you on that because I don't know. There's got to be a way maybe the ark could survive being the kind of wood it was and all. And I looked up and if wood is covered in lava and it's kind of like flash burnt or whatever, it becomes petrified immediately and it can last 25,000 years. So the next Sunday I come back and I'm telling her this and her eyes got this big and, and she's like, so it could happen. They could find Noah's Ark. I'm going, yeah, if it got covered in lava, you know, but we don't know where Noah's Ark is. It's not up to us to find it yet. But coming from an 11 year old, that was a wonderful question. She was listening, she was getting it. Some of us have the ability to give money, but we feel frustrated when the generosity doesn't accomplish everything that we want it to accomplish. Perhaps we're, all we're doing is keeping the church doors open, but when we get to heaven though, Christ will surprise us by what our money did. Or we might feel that the small amount that we're able to give seems completely inadequate. What can Christ do with so little that I'm able to give? Christ answered that question when he took the little boy's lunch and he fed thousands of people. That small church group I was talking about earlier, they supported different missions, but they understood these things. They couldn't help everyone, but they acted in faith with Christ's blessing because if they just helped one person, they was doing something and they could help someone by giving just a little. The church members who served these missions sometimes preferred that they could go out and rehabilitate these men or get them cleaned up or help them get jobs or maybe get an education or make a real difference in their lives. But instead, they were content to go out and bring them food when they could and give them money when they could, maybe sit down and talk with them every once in a while. And they just talked to them as friends. They embodied the love of Christ. And I don't know how much good that any of this did, but I know one day Christ will tell us that our faithful service didn't go unblessed. 
There was a pastor's conference that uh, Gerald Sitzer mentioned something about happened to him years earlier. He was a young man in his early 20s. He was super cool. He had hair down past his shoulders, a cigarette in his hand. He was prepared to serve as a counselor at church camp, and he went through several days of training to become a counselor. And finally, at the end of the training, the pastor there, Tom Stark, stood up to explain the gospel. Now, I don't know what Stark said, but I do know that it offended Gerald Sitzer. He told Stark that if that's what the gospel was, he didn't want anything to do with it. A few days later, crushed by the terrible burdens that the kids were carrying and his inability to help them, he remembered what this pastor had said about the gospel. He finally understood that Christ had something that he needed and that those kids needed. So right then and there, he gave his life to Christ. Sitzer became a professor of religion at Whitford College. It was a Presbyterian school. He written a number of books that had blessed thousands. His best book was A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. That book grew out of Sitzer's loss of a tragic accident that took the lives of his mother, his wife, and his daughter. Bill Hybels, a pastor at Willow Creek Community Church, calls the book the single most reflective and redemptive book on sorrow and loss that I've ever read. I will tell you those things about Gerald Sensor so that you understand that he's doing wonderful things for Christ today. When Sitzer told his story about the youth camp, a friend turned around and said, just imagine how differently things would have turned out if this pastor had failed to explain the gospel to those kids that day. That pastor's words were like the little boy's little five loaves of bread and two fish. They seemed inadequate, not much help against what was needed. They offended Sitzer, but he said, if that's the gospel, I want nothing to do with it. But Christ blessed that pastor's humble words and gave them power to change this guy's life. Christ continued the blessing of this pastor's words through the ministry of Sitzer to his students and through the ministry of his students to God knows who from there and throughout his books. I wouldn't be surprised that when we get to heaven, we don't find out that those pastors' faithful words about the gospel so many years ago helped millions of people. Christ took that little bit and turned it into just enough or more than enough. God has given us each five loaves of bread and two fish. He's given us our lunch, enough to feed one person, but not enough to do much else. We wish we could do more. We wish we could give $10 million for a new building or a million for a new organ in the church or half a million for some other grand project. But the person who dreams only of a grand gesture often misses the opportunity to use his or her five loaves of bread and two fish, the small resource that he or she can actually give instead of the million or more that they will probably never have. And if it turns out that you're able to give a million dollars someday, I'm certain that you'll be able to do it once. But hardly a day will pass, even if we live to be past 100, that we cannot give our five loaves of bread and our two fish something like our lunch, something large enough that it requires a measure of devotion to give it, but it's small enough for us to imagine that we could have done something great. And what counts is not the amount that we give, but the devotion in which we give it.
and what Jesus chooses to do with it. If we give to Jesus with devotion, he'll use our gift for grand purposes, maybe even world-changing purposes. Think about this for a moment, just some of the small gifts that we might give Jesus. Our gift might be a $20 bill or a $100 bill, and it sets so heavily in our wallets, but when the offering comes around, we don't want to let it go. Our gift might be to give up the grudge that we have against our neighbor, a grudge that we've nursed for a decade and from which we derive so much little pleasure from. Our gift might be to show an act of kindness to someone we know, a word of praise or a helping hand. Our gift might be a donation to one of the agencies that helps the homeless. Our gift might be to volunteer one evening a month in a soup kitchen, kitchen or a mission. This little boy gave up five loaves of bread and two fish, and then Jesus multiplied them. And people around the world are still being blessed today by this one story. Look for the, the five loaves and two fish gift that you can give to Jesus. Try to give Jesus five loaves and two fish every day. Jesus will bless every gift given in devotion to him and will make something important out of it. And Jesus will bless us too as we give and make something important out of us as well. That's our Lord's message for this Lord's day and I hope that you got a blessing out of it. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the words, the words of wisdom, the words of courage. It's so hard for us to let go what little we have because we are all always looking out for number one. And, and we just ask, Lord, that you'll help us to do better in the future, to do better at, even starting today of giving our five loaves and two fish to help out because it's not always about us. And we're to be out there, we're to be your face, your eyes, your ears, your hands, Lord as we go out to others. We're to be Jesus to someone. And we just ask that you continue to help us do that. We ask this in your son Jesus' precious name. Amen. Go out this week and be a blessing and be blessed because the more you're a blessing, the more you will be blessed. Thank you all for coming. We appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you for watching and listening to Dr. Rob White with the AULC Ministries. Athens Universal Life Church is a not-for-profit 501c3 organization. This production is an AULC Studios video production. Copyright 2012-2023. All rights reserved. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.